0: Well, hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to this most extraordinary week on Waffle Free Storytelling. I swear, I love Guest Week so much because the most incredible people step in and have a wee chat. And today, today's very special guest, we have Pauline Cordner, who is the most amazing. amazing storyteller I'm going to let her tell you all about herself and where she's from Pauline how are you
1: I'm fine thank you I'm blushing thank you for that introduction
0: (laughs) no really that you know you you are the very root for me you're the root of Scottish storytelling that's just it when you say storytelling it's like you're the you are the name that comes up and uh thank you so glad that you're here thank you very much for joining me uh, so let's start off just how did you get into storytelling? What's your story? What is that point? Uh,
1: how did I get into storytelling? I um believe it or not i was I was quite shy. I was quite shy found it difficult to uh Uh, start at A and work my way through B to C to the end of the alphabet without getting distracted. I'm I'm very easily distracted. Um, When I was about 21 I started to volunteer at a place called Archeolink in Aberdeenshire I love Archaeolink! Archaeolink was amazing and for you listeners that don't know what it is, it was uh, a place where you could go, it was like a museum but like a living museum where you could experience life from Scottish Mesolithic through the Neolithic, the Bronze Age, the Iron Age and occasionally well up to the Romans as well and occasionally they would go a little bit further, um, maybe Viking and medieval at special weekends, Um, but I'd always been interested in archaeology I didn't study archaeology at university because I was always told you will never get a job. <laughs> and um, when I left university and I, and I had a safe job uh, doing what I'd studied, which was chemistry, um, I found myself volunteering at Archaeolink. And I'd been there a full season almost. Um, I started in April and now it was coming up to Sawane, Halloween. Yeah. and every year they would have a wicker man um, and there would be storytelling and then uh, you know maybe there would be some sort of fake kind of sacrifice <laughs> <laughs> and then like we would burn the wicker man the newest and volunteer is the sacrifice right <laughs> I, I was never I was never the sacrifice although the final year it almost did get about out of hand Oh, so well, that's another story so <laughs> um At that point, um, it would have been 2001 and the Grampian Association of Storytellers, which I later joined, did exist, but the Internet wasn't what it is today. Um, So when some of us were asked to do storytelling, you know, I said, oh, I'll I'll give that a go. Um, And a couple of members of staff, we basically went out and we wrote stories with pen and paper we wrote stories we planned them out um to be set in the iron age set right in aberdeenshire um so it was exactly what we wanted and we didn't know really what we were doing but we had these three fantastic stories to tell Mm -hmm. and we practiced them so it would take an hour we would tell stories from four to five, and then the Romans would come and arrest us, and then somebody would be sacrificed. <laughs> That's never, you know, We always find a way to bring them back from the dead for the children, don't <laughs> worry. And then the, the wicker man would be burned. Um, and we were all set to do this, and the night before um, we had tickets at Fraser Castle and here was storyteller Sheena Blackhall. Ah, um, okay. See, yeah. I just sat there in the audience with my eyes wide open and my mouth wide open and I thought, this is oh storytelling. Wow. And so the next day, um, when it was quarter to four and there was 50 people standing there waiting. And you can't just sit silently in front of 50 people for 15 minutes until it officially started. So I said to my friends, right, right, don't worry, I've got this. And they went, but you can't start. We only have an hour prepared. And I was like, it's OK. I heard a story last night. I'll just translate it from the 1700s to Roman Britain. And, and you did this and on the fly. Did it on the fly. And wow. like, kind of once I got done and I got a little round of applause mm-hmm. and it was OK and then we did our stories now the first story was slightly gory the second story was slightly scary but my story was to be the one that would set everybody up for the romans coming in and grabbing the celts and carrying them off and and the wicker man and everything and i noticed um, because you're constantly looking at your audience um and i'd noticed that sheena had been doing this and i remembered um being a little girl and uh you know I I remembered how dry it could have been when you know the teacher read from a book and she didn't look and she looked at the book and occasionally she would look up at the class but I was looking at these kids and there was a couple of lips trembling so I changed the story as I went along so it had a you know the hero didn't have a terrible ending and um, the Romans invaded and we all breathed a huge sigh of relief and I thought Whoa, I I can do this. Yes, you can. (laughs) (laughs) Um... And then a couple of years later, I found gas. Um, There was an advert in the paper that my mum spotted. And um, I went along and was just nurtured um, by all the local storytellers. Um, So Jackie Ross, Maggie Fraser, Grace Banks, and then of course, Stanley Robertson. And then beyond that, um, when I started going to Glastonbury, my my Glastonbury story uh, was the terrible floods of 2005 and our tent was floating and um, (laughs) it was the the whole field we were in it's the one that if you google Glastonbury flood you can see my tent in that photo and um kind of staggered into this space and it was quiet and there was dry and this lovely lady said do come in and sit down and dry off we're telling stories Ah. and I was like (gasps) I I sat down and you know, eventually I was asked would you like to tell a story? And I was like, well, actually I
0: would. And um swapped numbers and, and the rest is history. Good <laughs> heavens. And so immediately this is this is something I didn't know about Glastonbury storytelling yes just a, tell me about that I didn't be, I've never I've never been to Glastonbury
1: well if people think of the Glastonbury festival they think about what they see on BBC they see yeah. you know the pyramid stage they see the big stars that is a fraction of Glastonbury Glastonbury is massive you know there's all the markets there's the theatres there's so many stages that you don't ever see but then all the way around this Um, there are fields and fields and fields of different things Mm -hmm. Um, this was in the green fields the green futures fields uh, which is all you know you're surrounded by renewable energies and um, quirky bits of art made you know it's, it's an extraordinary place and in the middle of that all you'll have various different performance spaces. Um, We're usually pitched next to the archaeologists, so you can rock up and learn a bit of (laughs) archaeology. And right in the middle of it all is this quiet little space uh, run by Christine Willison. Um, She's a storyteller from Wales. And um, we tell stories there and that generally um, stories for adults. Mm -hmm. However, um, right at the other end of um, the Glastonbury it's, it's huge it's a 13 mile perimeter um, at the other end um, is the kids field uh-huh. and in the kids field the storytelling is run by uh, John Rowe uh-huh. um, who is just I remember the first time I met him I'd been sent to the kids field you've got to go to this meeting and find the storytellers well I walked up to this this guy that looked like a wizard who joined the circus and I went <laughs> I'm looking for storytellers well <laughs> says John and um yeah so so at Glastonbury um my time is split between the kids fields and the green fields and it's oh the kids field itself is the the biggest children's festival in Europe within a festival and it's it's fields wide and oh there's, it's a wonderland and
0: and storytelling and everything yeah yeah it's brilliant so is this a regular thing for you now? Do you do the festivals? Is that part of what you do?
1: Yes, it is. Um, in the summer, um, I, there's been a couple of summers where we've just taken the caravan and we've just gone. Mm-hmm. So it starts it starts off with Glastonbury, which is two weeks before the Scotch kids break up, yeah. um, for which my daughter's allowed to come because it's you know it's an education. it really is It really
0: is yes, human if anything.
1: <laughs> that's it. That's it. And then um, we've done ooh, Cambridge Folk Festival um john's had me along at um strumpshaw tree fair east anglian folk festival and um i was going to be doing belladrum this year again hadn't done belladrum for a while mm-hmm. um and then there was another festival in the, the northeast called wizard fest um sadly demised now um and it's super it's super it, I, I think a lot of festivals can be so full on yes. that people need chill out space and spot. people are always surprised to come along and go storytelling what's that well it's quite literally once upon a time happily ever after and they just sit down
0: and you can just see them yeah. <sighs> relax and yeah now you know you've brought up you've brought up there a really interesting point first you've got the adult storytelling and then the kids storytelling and then the fact that people can come to a tent and go storytelling what is that but here then is the third thing that makes me go what Um, we, I was at a storytelling, uh, a a zoom storytelling session a little while back and it was split between a kid's audience and an adult's audience. The kids show, there were like five people there. The adult show, there were 50 people there. Wow. I know. So on one hand, it's like adults are always assuming that it's for kids, but the, it's a magnet when there's an adult storytelling show, it's like this, this like finding cool water in a desert. And people are attracted to it. Yeah. So, do you, in dealing with a kids' audience and an adults' audience, what's what's your experience between? Let, let's look at adults. Well, um, first of all, my experience is
1: that people think stories are for children. Yes. Which, as we all know, is Tosh. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, I always say. Um, if I had arrived with a family audience Mm -hmm. and you can see the the adults leaving and I'm like oh wait a minute where are you going Mm -hmm. stories are for adults but sometimes we allow the children to listen Ah. I'm getting to listen you know (laughs) and and, um, when I when I have a children's audience that's fine yeah. that's fine I, I can be silly and you know you obviously bring it down to that level. I don't think there's any stories that I would tell to children that I wouldn't tell to adults yep. uh, because you can tell them on so many different levels. Mm. Um, but you're right when when there have been events for adults um, and it's advertised as over 18s only um there is a little bit more interest because people then go oh Oh. okay this is not for children and they all they always expect um they always expect ghost stories but there's there's certain certain lines that I won't cross with under 18s certain things I won't discuss um what are they
0: yeah
1: uh suicide Uh I won't put suicide I won't put rape yeah um generally anything gory kids are anything honestly humanly
0: newsworthy gory
1: yes exactly um kids because of horrible histories and everything kids are quite at one with skeletons and gore and and amputations (laughs) yes (laughs) um and anything that that would freak me out i I, you know i wouldn't I won't do with children um but as 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 the years have gone by um you know that becomes less and less for me you know you become stories that I couldn't have told five years ago I find it a lot easier now to cover those subjects um and also I I I sing songs as well I sing the the Scottish ballads have you have you never heard me
0: (laughs) I have I have, and I swear, the, the room just goes quiet. Oh, I love it so much. In fact, you're not getting away with it. By the you end know, of the show, you're going to have like a ballad.
1: So, not, yeah. I'm not that good a singer, um, but because the stories are songs, yes, and the songs are stories, mm. it, I, I kind of feel okay singing. Um, and over the years, I've heard many ballad singers who, you know, uh, maybe their voice isn't the most beautiful thing but as soon as you see their face light up and you're like wow I don't know what they're gonna sing but it's gonna be it's yeah. gonna be an epic you know yeah um, I do find it easier to sing songs that cover difficult topics than and, and I don't know why um but there's there has been times that I've been singing songs and all of a sudden oh, oh my goodness yeah you quite you get quite you know swept away in the
0: emotion of it well you do because music is the thing that tap, that just taps into your heart and your soul and everything no, no, yeah. no matter what genre if there's a piece of music that touches you it doesn't it almost doesn't matter what the lyrics are because the music has touched your soul yes. and the fact that with this the lyrics are also telling a story that would touch your soul that's it you're you're actually you're actually done for you've got no chance <laughs> <laughs> because I have to say not talking about difficult topics that you cover with music and your stories in especially if you're thinking on in terms of fables myths legends but in particular fable the, the very purpose of these is to wrap a story around a difficult topic or something yeah. that kind of like bypasses rational reasoning and logic and takes the meaning of that story straight to the person yeah do you ever consciously use that where you're dealing with an audience that you know they're struggling with something and create a story just it, to help get that message across?
1: It can it can be difficult because usually, usually when you are storytelling um, you've been booked to tell stories for a time on a subject to a specific audience. Okay. Um, they're saying that there has been occasions where I've unwittingly told stories on a certain theme and people have come up to me afterwards or contact me afterwards and say you know you told this story and now I feel so much better about such and such a subject
0: Oh, okay All
1: right. um, miscarriage is one and death is another things that people have just been processing in their life and then mm. I happen to have been there and told a story at a certain time and afterwards they've gone wow Mm. You know, and um, I know, I know that when I first started storytelling, um, I think it was Stanley Robertson that told a few stories, which would help people deal with death.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and of course, that's their purpose,
0: you know? Yeah. So, so the storytelling, the, the, we'll take death as a subject. We're going to have to be careful we don't get too morose. <laughs> 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 we take that because this is, this is when you look at the kinds of stories that are told for just pure entertainment. One of the first stories I heard you tell was, "Oh, I'm going to have to just try and remember." It was there. There was a a village of people, and I remember because I get these. This you you paint amazing pictures in your head. <laughs> uh, a village of people living in the in this in the middle of this meadow, and there was a huge giant who lived. Oh yeah, out, yeah, 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 right, right, right. And uh, then and then <laughs> oh, tell that story quick. Tell that story quick because I I tell you what you just had me. You you want this synopsis? Okay. So
1: there is the village and it's surrounded by a big fence and they're they're in a wooded area, they're hiding from the giant. And all the children for generations have known. Nobody goes into this village, nobody goes out. The animals are allowed out to graze. And it's a bit like um bit like being in lockdown, I suppose. Um, there's a curious girl. I usually make her a girl because there's you know, there is sometimes a bit of a lack of female heroes. Mm. And she goes out and she finds the giant and she wakes it up and he chases the girl back and all the time he's saying, I'm gonna get you. And when <laughs> I'm gonna eat you and when I eat you, I'm gonna bite, bite, bite you. And then, of course, um, she runs into the village and now he knows where the village is and he's going to eat everyone. He's going to bite, bite, bite them. But the father uh, and the, the chieftain, they've got a plan. They trip him up and then the, the villagers come together and they start chopping bits of them off and you know it, it ends up with you may have chopped off my left leg, chopped off my right leg, hacked me in the belly cut off my head and chopped me into a million pieces but I'm still going to get you and I'm still going to eat you and obviously it, it builds every time you know you, first it's the left leg and right leg and you get your audience to pick up their imaginary axes and everything and join in with the chopping Thing. and then eventually you ask your audience how are they going to get rid of the giant you know they've they've chopped them up into little bits and all the little bits are still threatening you know it's like the black knight from monty python they they you know they're still going to eat you they're still going to get you and eventually some kid also, Well, you could burn them so they, they burn the giant and eventually after three days and three nights there's this huge great big pile of ashes that um go up into the air and they start flying around and they say, you may have chopped off our left leg, chopped off our right leg, hacked us in the belly, cut off our head, chopped us up into pieces and burnt us on a fire for three days and three nights, but we're still going to get you and we're still going to bite you. And they start biting the people all over and that's where midges come from. That's right! <laughs> so there is um, There is an African... Mosquito creation myth—that that's come from—I'm sure—but I heard a storyteller. I think it was John Hamilton, um, Mm -hmm. who's over over west side of of Scotland, and I was just so taken with it, and it fitted in so well with the Iron Age stuff that I was doing at the time. Right, and um, it's
0: just—you know—you can only tell that story in Scotland. You totally can. (laughs) <laughs> and I am never on the west coast of Scotland without thinking about that story.
1: <laughs> I, I well, they love me. Midgees love me. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, but you'll be in a group of people, and I'll be the only one that
0: comes out in lumps. <laughs> yeah, you and my husband get together, and everybody else will be fine.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Everyone's fine so long as I'm there.
0: <laughs> uh, but that's an interesting thing: the creation stories. Yeah. I find that those are often the most fun to write and the most fun to tell. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, oh, so that's how that happened. We let go of all logic and go, that's how that happened. Having
1: done the living history yeah. and people ask questions like, um, my daughter, what was it? She said it must've taken a long time to invent electricity. <laughs> and you can see the young mind thinking, well, how did people discover iron how did people discover that woad is a yellow plant with a yellow dye that turns blue when you put certain chemicals in it um and you know going along that you you can see people well where did fire come from Mm. you know uh why do spiders have eight like eight long legs you know and it's just that wondering and I love the the different
0: explanations that different cultures have for the same things. It's fantastic. Now immediately, you know, as soon as you said, why do spiders have eight legs? I go, okay, why, why,
1: why? I think, I think probably you're best going to Anansi for that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I I believe he, he was um, a short fat dude Uh with little short legs. And then he got a bit greedy and, uh, he asked all his neighbors to to tell him when breakfast was ready and um, he spun a bit of web around each of his tiny little limbs and told so me just, just pull on this pull on this when breakfast' ready and I'll, I'll come but because he's so greedy he was waiting for eight breakfast and of course all the breakfasts were ready at once all the neighbors pulled oh, at once and eight legs he put his legs stretch but there's various, there's lots of different versions of that even yeah I love a Nancy I love a trickster I love a character that's a hero with flaws like like a Nancy Hodja he's you know sometimes boastful but then humble and yeah
0: <laughs> but you know that's where we go in all of our fiction I find it doesn't matter whether it is a, a the Harry Potter or the James Patterson or David Baldacci or a folklore storyteller, there is still a core to our heroes and our heroines where they are these, as real as we can get. Yeah. You know, strong or flawed or with the human. There's a yes. human element. Yeah. absolutely yeah. amazing. Now, um, one of the big, que- as I watch you work and I watch other storytellers just sit and tell stories one after the other, after the other, what is your, your process for remembering and storing and then and then let's go with remembering first. So you've got a show and you've got two hours to fill. How do you, how do you gather those stories in your head?
1: Well, um, first of all, I've been building my repertoire up for gosh, 19 years. Um, so it came slowly, you know, starting focusing on like five stories. Mm -hmm. you know beginners just start with one story that you can tell yeah um if I am learning a new story if it if I hear a story another story tell it storyteller tell it it's so much easier to go in there
0: yeah
1: um I think um if I'm learning it from a book I go to sleep on it I I every night I read the story before I go to bed and maybe the first night I'll make it as far as you know the the king's handing out a challenge (laughs) yeah and then the next night just as I'm falling asleep I'll make it as far as you know the hero going on the adventure and then I'll make it a little bit further and a little bit further there are stories that I've been working on for years that I've never managed to tell Mm. um they're just not going in and I know that when they do go in it'll be good Mm. um these are stories which are a little bit more complicated Uh Um, I think both both of the ones that I'm working on at the moment are both they're both out the Arabian Nights. So there's quite a lot of um, twists and turns right. and facts. So, certain stories, I, I mean, there's the whole discussion that storytellers always have. If you're telling a story from another culture, um, you can't change things because they're um, significant yeah. in those cultures. Yeah. Um,
0: so so that's why I. I'm taking so long with these ones. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. But now that's that's an interesting point where you talk about stories from another culture. There's mm. some times where I've picked up a story and it is from another culture and I've actually felt uncomfortable telling it because it's not my story to tell. Now, is that, is that What what is, what is kind of, what's the mindset in storytellers about telling other culture stories?
1: My experience so far is that it depends on the culture. Okay. Um, I have heard, I mean, t- take um, the various different Native American First Nations uh, yes. tribes. Um, some groups are, take our stories, tell them or they'll get lost. Right. Some groups are, they belong to us. Yeah. And um, how you find out <laughs> the story yeah. that you have got, how you find out whether or not that story is widely shared or not, Um, I don't know that, that's down to research. Um, uh, Scottish Traveller Stories um, is another good example. Um, Stanley Robertson's story, the... um, Oh, Al Kruvi, um, where the mother hands the hero uh, what looks like a ball of wool. It's not a ball of wool, it's a ladder of wool. And Stanley always said, you can't say that it's a ball of wool you can say it looks like a ball of wool and eventually it turns out to be a ladder that his mother's made oh. um because the ball of wool is um a symbol of the womb and why would she hand her womb away oh. <laughs> you know it's lots of little things like that for years i told a story that i learned from anna Fancett, coy and the cola nuts
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and style. Mm. i was completely ignorant as to significance of the cola nut until one point I thought I'm going to google this yeah <laughs> you know and find out that you know the significance of the cola nut within um the societies. so mm-hmm. but the thing is that, that a lot of stories that you'll find in children's books will have origins in you know maybe aboriginal myths or whatever yeah. and they've been changed before you even come across them so it's it's as far as I know, it's a political minefield, <laughs> <laughs> and Thank various people much. are That's writing clear. <laughs> various people are writing papers on it. Um, when I when I'm telling a story from um, from a Native American First Nations culture, I always name the tribe as well.
0: Okay. Oh, okay. Now. Th- what paused me there is you've you've got that and, and anna you mentioned anna yes who i love i love her style and a lot of her, the stories that i've heard her tell and I, i've only been at a couple of sessions where she's been at um uh, she told the cinderella story was it no it was a it was a version of the cinderella story from arabian style
1: yes Do you remember, I remember the one you mean i'm trying to remember the name the girl's name you um, know what I had it written down in front of me, but uh... <laughs> yeah. oh, that bit of paper. Yeah, oh, I can't
0: remember. Where there are like 3,000, over 3,000, they say different versions of Cinderella around the world. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Now, that is where you're taking a story. And like you say, it is changed even before you get it. And it's only when yeah. you get something like the Cinderella story where you can see that one story, but told in 3,000 different ways in three yeah. different cultures. So it becomes very difficult then I suppose to, to hear, say for instance, a native Indian uh, North American story and say, well, that is only for that culture where it's like, ah, but yeah. How, yeah. Do you, how do you know? But then also to allow the sensitivity yeah. because the origins of that story actually might've come from an incredible and terrifying piece of their history. Yes. It yeah. is not a Cinderella story for crying out loud. This is real people who still in their genes and in their DNA still remember the actual events that generated that story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I suppose it's piecing all of that together to say is it just a folk tale? Yeah. And then you begin to say, or was the very original Cinderella story a true story? Yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, <cool>. then, <laughs> You see and then through time it becomes just a story and is changed by a thousand cultures. And then you have a different versions, but the original, it's a very true story.
1: What I find fascinating, and I've not actually read this paper and absorbed it because you know it's on my list of things to do, is how studied people <laughs> can take a story like uh, Cinderella and say, we have traced this back to coming out of Africa thousands of years ago I don't understand how they can do that it's fascinating what a cool job that must be what do you do for a living well sit down follow stories (laughs) yeah the DNA of stories just taking it back and until you've got the common roots and then the common root oh what yeah how they do that it's fascinating it's just—it's mind-boggling to me.
0: <laughs> is there any story? Is there any story that they can definitively say this was the first time it was told? There, there, there must be—you um,
1: know—stories which people have written. But then, even if you look at—you know—you know, take take for example, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You know, there was influences from so many different. Absolutely. I suppose Hans Christian Andersen is quite a good example of that, because we know, um, you know. Yeah,
0: the ugly duckling, where else was it told? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, That's actually a very good point. Are there any other versions of ugly duckling duckling other than Hans Christian Andersen?
1: Yeah. Oh. Whoa. There's a paper out there for someone.
0: Everyone that's listening, I know where did that idea come from. Now, now here's the thing actually, here's the point is that the ugly duckling, the character is the ugly duckling, and we think ugly duckling, we think the duckling and the swan, and the yada yada yada. But the story about this, the thing that is that it is about about the growing up and emerging of mm. an individual from something that he perceives or she perceives herself as unworthy goes into a kind of bubble hibernation and then is recognized by the world as this magnificent beast and then off she flies. Now that is a human story. Yes. The ugly duckling is just the vehicle. I wonder wonder (laughs) if, if he was
1: describing himself, because was he not Maybe I'm taking too much from the Danny Kay musical. But was he not laughed at <laughs> for Lord. his writing stories? And then eventually he was just accepted as this as producer of amazing
0: things. Well, you know what? Do writers and storytellers <laughs> pick the things that reflect most on ourselves? Yeah, yeah. They <laughs> yeah. yeah. wow. actually say, who was it I heard? I had this wonderful debate with, with somebody a while back where um, where I said, no, if there is an element of every character in the stories that we love most and the stories that we write, there is an element of every character that reflects ourselves consciously or unconsciously. We've picked them because it reflects a part of ourselves. And this chap I was speaking to got terribly upset because he was writing about this complete shocking sociopath and was like, <laughs> dude, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe
1: he was writing about the person he doesn't want to become
0: <laughs> in which case like i said let's just talk in a crowded place <laughs> that's brilliant uh, okay, okay so listen your your pro because you 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 gig this is another thing that complete that, that you opened my eyes to the fact that you do shows you do you do events how did you how do you get into all of that? How does that process work? I, I guess I mean I mean
1: the, the first thing that I did was was telling stories around the fire in the roundhouse at Archeolink, which was a gift. If it hadn't been for that that space, would I have felt safe? As quite a shy person, would I have felt safe to go out there and and perform? Because it's performance it is, yeah. um, shows. Uh, do you mean? Do you mean? Um, the way that I tell stories that the costumes anything like does that yeah um I for me storytelling is an excuse to dress up
0: <laughs> <laughs> now for my audience for my audience I'm gonna have to put photos will you send me some photos of oh your...
1: yes yeah nice.
0: I, fact, the, the 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 post photo is going to be the photos that you send me So, guys, you you can see when when I'm talking about the bubble that (laughs) pulling, it's like you can see the whole package. It's like it's a. It is.
1: It is. I just I love. I love. I mean, one thing that somebody told me right when I was starting off storytelling was when you are a storyteller you need to be obvious it it needs to be obvious that you are the storyteller if you're on a stage and you're just there in your jeans and your t-shirt how are they going to know that you're going to immediately grab them and transform them you can do that but with a modern audience maybe they need to know that you're something special and somebody said get yourself a hat and you'll stand out (laughs) i think i just took that and run with it (laughs) I, th- I suppose that the first um, the first paid gig that I did was the burn mm-hmm. um, which for your listeners um, it's an archaeological uh, sorry geological feature to the west of um Far, far west out uh, and almost in fact, it's in the Cairngorms National Park um, with there's a there's a loch, there's a um, it's like a big cave where the ceilings, collapsed in a very historical area. It's a fantastic area um, out at Dinnet and um, I was asked to do stories based in that area. And, you know, for, you know, an area of a couple of miles in diameter. Um, there's so much has gone on, you know, battles and um, outlaws running around <laughs> and so I was telling some of those stories and um, some of them there's a, there's this Iron Age uh, evidence, there's Bronze Age evidence so I, I dressed up in my Iron Age kit and um, I, I borrowed, you know, borrowed a couple of swords so we had various children out of the audience and I was like, right, you are this family in Scotland and you are on the side of the Scots. Oh no, here comes <laughs> Pencil, Here comes the English king. What are you going to do? You're going to change sides. So you get invested in another jumper and then, oh no, oh no. The, the, oh look, the Scottish king's winning now. Quick, change jumpers again. And um it it was it was an absolute scream the kids were so good and the adults were all we had this kid he had so many flags draped over him by the end he was like the michelin man because he was playing this character that kept swapping sides um and in the end it was like right okay he's changed sides too often but he's gonna get killed we can't kill him because he's got too much cloth on oh dear (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think a lot of being a storyteller is, um, I I mean, sometimes I have to improvise um, and sometimes, you know, there's always the potential for things to go wrong Mm -hmm. and you just have to take that on the head and learn how to make
0: it part of the story perhaps. (laughs) What's the worst thing that's gone wrong? What is the most, yeah, where you've got, oh my, Goodness, how am I going to get out of
1: this? Um, at Glastonbury, there was a gentleman came into the storytelling hut who was quite clearly under the influence of something. Oh, no. I don't know if this was a legal something or an illegal something. And there was a character in my story who, um, who all of a sudden <laughs> met a teacher on the street and the teacher said, sit down, behave yourself and listen. And the man just sat down, behaved himself and listened. <laughs> you can't break character you're right in there you can't no because there was so many people were just listening to this and and at the end of it um uh christine said he'd he'd gone she said what what do you do for a living are you a teacher like no but my mom was Um, (laughs) um, and also i do love i love going to care homes um my mother Um, had dementia and obviously dementia changes people's characters so you would have you know what was previously a very happy-go-lucky gentleman or a very cheery cuddly lady well sometimes sometimes um, they can be quite uh, abusive and sweary um and dealing with that um I'm lucky that the first time that happened it was actually my grandfather (laughs) he he nodded off (laughs) (laughs) he nodded off he was delighted that I was here and that's my granddaughter yes there she is and he nodded off and he woke up and he was oh he wasn't happy who is that and why are they talking and what's going on oh it's you Pauline (laughs) Um, but I knew I I knew that you know he he didn't mean it and that was you know it was just the dementia but um, um, there has been some occasions where you know little old lady will just come right up to you and just tell you exactly what you think what she thinks of you and it's it's not her fault you know and you just have to take it on the head and um, continue and carry on and um yeah it's it's just one of those things that you learn I love doing care homes um quite often you'll get somebody who'll sit there and they've just been you know you, you possibly think that they're asleep, and then they'll go, In my house, it wasn't Rowies, it was Buttrace. <laughs> so you every night, listen- you can always get a debate on whether a morning roll. Or a rowie or a pottery, you yeah.
0: know. Yeah, that'll never be decided. Never be agreed. Never.
1: A <laughs> <The> rowie, obviously.
0: <laughs> Actually, as a foreigner, as a, as a, as a new import into Scotland, I agree. I have to say. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh goodness! So care homes—is this—is this something you do every year, like around Christmas, or do you—is it a regular thing? Um. Well. Pre-Covid,
1: it would just be um, at any time during the year. um, Quite often you get the comment, oh, thank goodness, she's not got an accordion. Um, (laughs) Because you you have to remember, I mean, people seem to think that folk in care homes still want to listen to my old man said, follow the van and the White Cliffs of Dover. No, we're now on to, were you Beatles or Stones? Um, So a lot of the stories that I do, um, I I will tell stories from around the world, but I'll set them locally. um, Because quite often you can kick off conversations like um, the the story, the theft of the theft of a smell. Uh Um, I don't know if you know that one, but a, a baker accuses a poor man of standing outside his shop of Stealing the smell of of his goods. Well, of course, I set that in whatever village we're in, yeah. and um, you know it, it, he's he's obviously smelling the rowies, or or if it's yeah. a, a younger audience, he's outside Greg smelling the sausage rolls. And, yes. Um Okay, now you got to tell me
0: what happens to this guy. <laughs> Oh, it's, the it's story. too long a story.
1: Maybe oh, it I'll. Too long? It for you. Okay, yeah, yeah, or maybe I think I've recorded it already. I'll, I'll maybe send a, a link to. It
0: in the something. link, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll just make it another episode this week. There you go. <laughs> oh, there, <we> go. <laughs> there you go, folks. If you're picking up this, look in the show notes. You're going to get the well. There's going to be a pile of links. I want. I'm going to need to know what you're up to, and where people can find you, and. And everything about gas this is the Grampian Association of Storytellers, which is amazing.
1: Um,
0: and then also the story that Paulina has already recorded for uh, for this week, which is a um, it's a family story. You know, tell me a little bit about that story. Well, um,
1: the story Granda would tell me about um, about his life. I'm. I think I'm quite lucky that I would have been in my early twenties when I started asking about my family uh, in a family tree kind of way. Um, and I see people who are my age who are in their forties and who still have no interest in their ancestors. And it's like, well, you know, you know, your parents aren't going to be around forever. Um, but I was forever asking questions and things, and he would tell me funny little things about. Um, like the time that his dad put his false eye in his pint um, so that nobody would drink from his pint when he went to the toilet and he would tell me yeah (laughs) Um, and he would tell me about the time that 1926 his uncle uh, who was the rich uncle and he had a motor car turned up and took the three brothers it must have been it was the three brothers and my my grandfather was just like piled in the back of the car with a cousin and some other random kid off the street who they'd been playing with and they were like oh where are we going where are we going for a jaunt in the car oh I thought we'd go for a pint says the uncle you know where they went from Aberdeen they went to Glasgow (laughs) In 1926, in this car, what top speed? 20 miles an hour? I don't know.
0: That's a big, um, for Real. And
1: there was all sorts of carry on. That, that, you know, they ended up in a ditch and they had to get dug out and in the middle of the night. And the uncle was absolutely plastered. And <laughs> uh, um, so he would tell me all these little stories. And it just so happened that the one that I recorded for you featured this character who I've called Dopey Davy. And you know, it was clear from the way that Granda spoke that Dopey Davey was different, yeah. but they accepted him and, you know, they stood up for him and they loved him as a friend, you know. And um, even back then, in times when he would have maybe have been thought as a bit simple, um, he clearly had brains. He was just, you know, he was just different to them. Um, and your readers will find out why he was different.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah I <laughs> but love anecdotes about them that fitted
0: in as well so yeah no it was amazing to listen to because as soon as that you, you you completely brought this character to life and had a smile on my face from the beginning to the end <laughs> like, oh, I a joke. <laughs> because I think that is the beautiful thing people when, when you think about true family stories there's a difference between here's a chronological history of a person's life compared yeah. to here is a thing that Brought all of that chronology to life. Yes. You know, yeah. That is the date, but this is what happened. And what, what I love is um, when I've been
1: doing my family history, um, I, I got access to the newspaper archives. Mm-hmm. And very occasionally, you can hear your ancestor's voice. <gasps> um, very occasionally, uh, there was one ancestor of mine. He, he's not actually a direct ancestor, he's the, the first husband of. Uh, my great 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 grandmother and um, he was a bit of a local celebrity uh, uh, sport and um, celebrity and he was um, employed to, to, to be running um, at this big event where a band was playing and the band were sacked after the first night of the event for being drunk on the job and playing out of tune. <laughs> um, they call up various people to give evidence and eventually here, here's this guy and he's called up to give evidence and they say, they say that, you know, well, sir, um, you have been called and to, to give evidence and, and what did you make of the band? Ach, Kenneth, I thought you were off a rock. And it's written, it's written in Doric. Wow. And then um, they said, "Well, did you not, did you not say anything to them? You were part of this event." Oh hi, a, a, a spirit to the laddie that I could play his, play his fiddle better than he could. <laughs> and can you play the fiddle? Nah, I'm a dab hand We had we had jo- Jaws harp. <laughs> it was just like, oh my goodness, he's he's a right.
0: That is <laughs> yeah.
1: all right lad <laughs> it's, so pr- it's so precious to have things like that
0: yeah.
1: Um, so yeah if anyone's listening go out and ask your ask your relatives their stories yeah write them down
0: pass them on you know you're absolutely right because I feel for in my own family story in his, history I feel that there are always one or two people in the family who carry this history. Yeah, and they are gone. You lose the person, and you lose you lose all of that knowledge. Yeah, in our family was my my grandmother and my mom's side, and we would listen and listen and listen to her stories, but they were never properly written down. And yeah, was a great regret. Where I sit and I think, ah, oh, what grand would have known that? Grand would have known that. But yeah, story, you know, you're absolutely right. Just. Get in and get those stories
1: and, and now it's i mean it's easy just to stick a microphone in someone's face and say just talk
0: yeah like yeah. we're
1: doing now you know
0: absolutely mm-hmm. and and it's there are there, there are projects around the world there's one it's like world story or family story or something like that where you can actually go in and sit and record your story and it's part of that archive I yeah guess. i'll go and look for it and i'll add it to the show notes I can't, yeah i think it's an app on a phone as well um and you get different members of, of, of a family going and recording even different views on a story and there it is wow. on the internet in this archive for anybody to listen to. That's fascinating. But, and, and it's gathering family stories. Yeah. And it's recorded and it's there and it's in a way that people actually now really enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll add that.
1: I wonder if it's a recent thing um, that people aren't interested.
0: I don't know. What do you think now people are less interested they just they just too many distractions
1: granda, granda could have told you all about all of his family yeah um going back to oh yeah but his grandfather was such and such you know he was a he was a gardener um out at the big house in the country blah 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 mm. um i don't know i don't know but i do find an awful lot of people who who just you know if i tell a story of for example the the, the the guy that was the witness in court that oh that's really funny that's really interesting and it's like well you'll have the same you will kind of stories in
0: your family but they, they just don't seem engaged it's, it's strange yeah to go and find it now I tell you why I'm there's there's a little bit of a, of a pause in my, my my own family at the moment are in the thick of building a family of, of finding these family stories and um there are a couple uh, in the family who are the real gatherers and they've got all their yeah. paperwork and photos <laughs> and stuff like that in fact right now as we speak i'd sent off for my dna the answer to ancestry for my dna and it's like yes it should be here next week and it's like everybody's it's going so where are we from, where from?
1: <laughs> it's so i just i just got mine back and um immediately i got contacted i'm, I'm a geocacher as well and i got contacted by two geocachers who happen to be married to each other uh-huh. and I'm related to both of them. <laughs> You're joking! <laughs> <laughs> They're not related to each other, but I am. And i not yeah. like, oh my goodness. It's, it's, it's like, you know, so many generations away. Yes. Um, it's fascinating, fascinating.
0: Oh, man, no, you, it's just, and, and when you think that all of the stories that are written and told from fairy tale, even when we, when we go back and talk about yeah. the story, It would have come from a family story. I don't believe any story just appears out of the vapor. There's an inspiration behind it. And that inspiration is always human. My my daughter asked me
1: yesterday, um, I told her the story of the Pied Piper of Hamelin, um, because we're going on to read a Terry Pratchett book, which Uh references it. And she said, is this a true story? Uh, Now, my usual answer to children, and I can't remember who I got this from, is it's a real story. Yes. (laughs) And they they go, oh, Oh. and then they have to think about it. Does she mean (laughs) it's a true story or is it a real story because she's telling it? Anyway, um, I, I, I said to her, well... Um, there is evidence, and we looked it up on Wikipedia, <laughs> mm-hmm. that um, all the children did go missing from this village. What do you think could have happened to them? Mm-hmm. And we, we settled on on the suggestion that, yeah, maybe maybe it was a plague, um, a virus, maybe that, that just killed the children, an illness that killed the children. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was why they all disappeared. It wasn't a man with a magic flute. No. Um, and that was why the rats are involved, because maybe they were passing on the germs and yeah. um it, it's fascinating how a you know a child can figure these things out. She's maybe a little bit more analytical being a storyteller's daughter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she listens to every story and goes, What are you really saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, we'll raise a psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're gonna have that problem. Oh you you're not gonna get away with anything soon. No. <laughs> oh that's wonderful oh my god I'm just looking at the time we could just talk for just ever (laughs) Pauline it has been completely special absolutely special to talk to you uh so if you send me any information you've got about what what events are coming up because of course with um lockdown and this different way of being you're doing a lot more online I take it that's right yes lots more online Oh, which means anybody anywhere can tune in. Exactly. Right at the start,
1: um, I mean, me and um, some storytelling friends from across Scotland and then and then beyond, um, started a wee project called Tag Team Tales where we said that, and, and I was the one that was doing all the tech behind it, we, we shared um, one story or more every single day all the way through the first lockdown up until the kids' holidays. So March all the way up to July. Which was a lot of hard work, um, but yeah. at the same time, um, I mentioned John Rowe earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, he um, he was part of the setting up of the World Storytelling Cafe. Oh, which... I love it! Yeah,
0: I was just I just I just recently I found that. Yeah,
1: um, so I was the second person to tell a story on it because um, oh, nice. John contacted me and said, Pauline. <laughs> <laughs> you can do technology. I need your help. And yeah. uh, he said, You never know. Soon this might be all around the world. And of course it was. And Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's a fantastic guy. He's put so much work into it, along with Mike and, and all the people that have been involved. It's just, it's an amazing thing. And it'll be there forever. All it these stories.
0: Cool. Yeah. You know? And then I put the link to that i uh, yes. put that in the show notes as well. In fact, I'm putting a, um, a calendar of storytelling events because one of the challenges I found when I first got into this is like, how do you know where the stories are being told? And I really yes. struggled to be able to find things. So I'm gonna build it, it'll probably be, um, hopefully before Christmas, where there'll be a calendar on the page with every Tuesday, there's a story at, uh, at the World Cafe. Uh, the first Friday of every month, there's gas. What yeah. are doing? And so begin to put these events so that, you know, if you feel like every day of the week, there are great stories being told around the world. All you have to know is how to tap into them. That's all. That's it. That's so that's brilliant. it. Send me whatever you want people to know about so that, sure that it's easily shared. That is just oh, spectacular. Uh, anything else? Any last bits of nuggets or thoughts that come to your mind?
1: Ah. Uh, Th- that's the one question that you ask if you want my mind to go blank. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, <that's> <laughs> 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 On that note, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it has been the best. Thank you so, so much. And uh, in particular, we're going to look into the show notes, everybody, for links to everything that Pauline's involved with, everything <laughs> she wants you to know about. And it has been wonderful talking to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's been lovely. It has been. It has, it's Because I've known you. We've been on each other's radar for such a long time. And it's like, okay, now I'm hooked to gas. I'm like, eh, completely welded. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a complete treat. One question, Arculink, is that still doing its thing? Arculink closed in 2010. I thought I heard that, you see. We had
1: our, um, some of us had a, uh, 10 year anniversary Zoom chat. Waiting, uh, I still have my t shirt, my last day, my last Wickerman t shirt. So ah, it's a okay. shame. It, the, the bill, the, the, it's still there, mm. uh, falling into disrepair.
0: So um, all we need is somebody with a budget to go and rebuild it, right? <sighs> Uh, the longer it goes on, the more budget they'll need. <laughs> okay, <so laughs> but this yeah. is a call with anybody interested in storytelling and archaeology. Archaeolink needs somebody to love it deeply. With It podcasts. does, it's still for sale, still for sale, it's still for sale. I think there's been various, it's almost
1: gone through, it's almost sold. Um, but as far as I know, it's still for sale. Yeah. All right.
0: Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, come Thank on, there's somebody <laughs> out there. <laughs> this would be a very worthy cause. We can get the fireside going at Arculink again. That would be amazing. Hey, let's put the link up for the sale as well. You never know. <laughs> if I can find it, yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. All right. Oh my god. You see, we could whitter on forever, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Pauline. Uh, that is it from waffle free storytelling for today go and check out the show notes for everything about Pauline and everything that she's doing and uh we're gonna see you next time for more weird random and wonderful stuff from the universe um in the meantime thank you, thank you so much. it's been a treat thanks, thanks again <laughs>